We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about gear, protection against the physical, whether it be bodies or pucks. But no amount of gear can guard against heartbreak. The hockey world is mourning the loss of Columbus Blue Jackets net miner Mattis Kivlevnex passing away after a fireworks accident on July 4th. This episode of In Goal Radio was recorded prior to the tragedy. Kivlevnex was a Latvian who lived the dream of hosting a world championship recently after winning his first game in the National Hockey League last year at Madison Square Garden. He was phenomenal that night. It is a journey that is over far too soon, but we at Ingol would like to dedicate this episode to the 24-year-old, Mattis Kivlevnex. We are end of July. It's In Goal Radio, the podcast. Oh, welcome to episode 127. I'm starting to track the episodes uh, by number. There was the longest stretch where I didn't know whether it was episode 30 or episode 92, and now I just can't get it out of my mind that we're uh, we're approaching that 130 mark. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Uh, so glad that you're along with us. We have a, an incredible conversation today about uh, something that I could see becoming more normal as we go on in this uh, evolution of uh, the cap era and making your resources go as far as they can. And especially after the experience of the three goaltenders in and around the uh, parent club of the National Hockey League during the the COVID season, uh, could that work and give you more flexibility uh, throughout your organization? Brad Thiessen is going to stop by, and uh, what a uh, an eventful career he has had, and now at the formation of this idea of a player coach. So we're going to deal with uh, his uh, interesting uh, startup in the world of goaltending, and then uh, into this uh, transition to a player coach. I, to me, I would find it difficult. Brad does a great job explaining the balance that he went through being a player and a coach and trying to fit into one side or the other because it's difficult to do both. Trust me, I try to be Woody's friend, but really behind the scenes, I'm Hutch's bestie. And it's it's hard to walk that line and still make Woody feel like he's the most important person uh, on the program as we uh, as we say hello to the gentleman. Uh, hey, best buddy Woody, how are you doing? Little Reg Dunlop on the show today, hey? <laughs> Reg Dunlop, also, by the way, in goalie uh, pads. We're we're gonna stop by my other best friend in the world uh, with Cam at uh, the hockey shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, sticks uh, are the topic of the day. The Warrior Ritual V two twig, and that uh, that allows for some savings uh, across the board. And uh, looking forward to uh, to chatting about uh, about backup sticks or warm-up sticks, if you will. And there's a real debate right now whether Woody got an actual plug and letter of support from Cam or whether Cam was mocking Woody. And uh, I'm curious to see what the uh, what the listener has to say, Woody. Well, I'm pretty sure they're going to mock me like you guys do on a weekly basis. Um, but listen, across the board... And across the border, the savings right now at thehockeyshop.com with the release of the new Warrior Ritual V2 stick that we'll talk about in the gear segment means 30% off the Warrior Ritual V1. And that's the stick that you've been seeing so much in the National Hockey League over the past couple of seasons, including Stanley Cup finalist Carey Price. So 
Um, the chance to save 30% off that. And if you're an American client, I believe that one ships across the border. So you get the extra discount on the exchange. They're practically giving them away. And because Cam is such a massive warrior guy, and to his credit, in this case, he saw the trend coming with the Warrior V1 stick and ordered big. Ordered so much that he has a lot left. 30% off. Plus, if you're American, get the savings with the with your dollar being worth more. Like massive savings on the Warrior V1. So make sure you check out the hockeyshop.com. Click on the sticks, click on the Warrior. You'll see all the new lines that we're going to talk about today. You'll see last year's M model series, which not yet on sale, but that V1, that's the one that's on sale big time right now. Uh, lots of curves, lots of paddle lengths, lots of options at the hockey shop. If you're blessed to be in person, get there quick because they're going to go quick. Or if you're checking it out from a distance online, Get your order in quickly while stock remains on that Warrior Ritual V1. Or if you want the update, different kick point, uh, so a few different modifications at different points in the line, make sure you listen to the segment this week to find out which one is right for you, including a potential warm-up stick. Hutch, get the pen out of your mouth and answer a couple of questions for me. Yes, sir. I want Best you to friend. pick a, I want you to pick the stick for me. What's the... What's the paddle length that I should go for? As short as possible? Yes. Is your yes? Okay. Yes. Uh, so what Is that uh, a good answer? What, what's Underwoody that? now? <laughs> what what paddle length should I go for? Uh I, I think you should experiment as far down as twenty five, which okay. we saw Kerry experimenting with uh, a little over a year ago. He didn't actually pin down to twenty five. I think he was more comfortable around twenty six. But uh, since you are so Carey Price-like, I, I think you might want to <laughs> experiment in the same place that he was experimenting. Look, the, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit on here before, but um, the trend seems to be with the people that we work with to going to smaller and smaller paddles. Uh, the reasoning being that uh, we make most of our saves on our knees. I haven't seen too many stick saves uh, standing up since we had Kelly Rudy on the podcast. And, uh, and therefore, actually sizing your paddle so that you are closing holes while you're down in the butterfly is much more important than having that pretty stance uh, that everybody seems to want to have. Um, because if you have a perfect stance standing with no holes, as soon as you go down, that uh, stick is going to force those arms out a little bit and, and open some things up. But I can see that your other best friend is really excited right now and wants to chime in about his 23-inch paddle. Oh, no, he's bringing in a plane at the uh, at gate 34 in Terminal C. He's waving <laughs> his hands around. He's got the, the let flares talk, let up. Me talk, let me talk. It's been like a minute. Well, <laughs> a note before Darren goes online One note. and orders his Warrior V1 on sale. Warrior paddles are sized differently. Exactly. So I was going to say Hutch had it right on and we talk about it with Cam and make sure you check with Cam to get the lengths right. Warrior paddles do tend to size down. So Darren, we were talking about Kerry. The year we saw him experimenting, he was still in a CCM. That CCM 25 inch would be at least a 26 in the Warrior model. So make sure you check with Cam to get the right sizing options and have a complete understanding whether through their website or through them in person. Because the last thing we want you to do is order that 25 comparing it to a Bauer or a CCM or another brand, get it and find that it's that much shorter. Do you guys explain why Warrior is sized differently than a Bauer or a CCM? Or Could somebody explain to me how you even measure paddle length? Because that one I actually don't know. I'd like Cam to do that for us one week. Because 
the heel is completely curved. So where do you start and stop your measurement? Somebody and that me. that's where you get discrepancy in terms of how it's measured because you're measuring to where the paddle starts to cut in on the backside uh, at the handle down to that point on the heel. And if you look at the illustrations in the old NHL books, um, it's like an old wood stick and it's literally right. square, square and it has like a sharp edge in the corner. So the measurement is quite simple. Like you need the it, stick with a ruler. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And it's not it's not that simple anymore. So uh, it's a good question, Hutch. And I think that's where some of the discrepancy comes in from brand to brand, depending on where they start that measurement. So I want to go out there and I want to fire the puck uh, as I skate on the ice like Harry Price does in warm up. What uh, what kick point do I want? Hutch, give me an idea. Give me an idea. You're my goalie stick guru. Am I guy. really? You got the wrong guy in this family on to answer that. I actually think I on, I honestly think it's a personal preference thing. Yeah, I think I think it's probably, but but I'm completely waffling on here. I know I live with a goaltender who really prefers a particular kick point and a particular flex, but uh, I'm just happy if the puck ends up on the right colored jersey stick. Good point. But Woody, is it Woody? Are we talking like graphite shafts and steel shafts here for the golfers, or what's going on? Uh, well, actually, hey, the golf analogy is interesting. I don't know if we're going to get quite into that level of customization ever in golf. And, you know, I'm a guy who from a or ever in hot in goaltending, I'm a guy from a golf standpoint that I won't buy clubs without getting fit because I want them to be the right ones. And all those things matter. Um, for me, my personal preference, I think it's how you shoot the puck and how well you shoot the puck. Like I'm not a great puck handler. So a stick with a lot of flex, I like the E-Flex. I, I was a big fan of the E-Flex 4. It had a lot of bow to it. You could sort of lean on it without a lot of pressure, and it would give you that little bit of a, not quite Brett Hull, yeah. dropping a knee for the one tee, but that type of whip. Um, but if you're like if you're like a guy who puts a lot of force in it and handles it really well, you might prefer, like you don't need that help. You might prefer a little more precision. Um, you know, again, I know the, the, the on a, you know, just being comfortable with the CCM models, the axis stick is significantly stiffer through the paddle than the E-Flex stick. So I do think it's personal preference, Darren. What I like is that all these companies are getting to a point where you can choose one based on your preference versus just having one generic you know, model that behaves the same way and has different paint on it from year to year. I like the fact we're getting options. Uh, and that warrior stick is is beautiful. Uh, I love it. it. It looks fantastic. We'll get back into the sticks uh, during our gear segment with Cam over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey. Uh, check them out uh, for all the latest uh, and greatest uh, equipment uh, releases during this time that we're uh, focusing on so much of the, um, the releases by the different manufacturers, but also uh, the deals that come as a result of that of the new models coming out, uh, but some news to uh, talk about. And gentlemen, uh, I know you join me in uh, with the season coming to an end, congratulating the Tampa Bay Lightning 2021 Stanley Cup champions, Conn Smythe Trophy winner Andre Vasilevsky, goaltender Curtis McElhenney and goaltending coach France Jean. Yes, we uh, we did that. Uh, we allowed Siri to uh, to step in and, uh, and announce it uh, because uh, well, quite frankly, we're recording this uh, because uh, as the Stanley Cup final is occurring and while the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, have a uh, commanding lead, we weren't comfortable enough to make the announcement uh, on our own and do two different versions just in case uh, the Canadians came back. 
for fear of uh, of just some kind of technical malfunction and uh, and having the wrong thing. So uh, Siri, congratulations uh, for stepping in and uh, and making your debut. Thank you, Darren. But remember, I have had to save Cam a few times. Well, actually, it wasn't a debut, but uh, Siri helped us out uh, again. Uh, Siri, sorry, uh, made a, made a, 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 an appearance earlier, but uh, we really um, certainly do appreciate uh, Siri for helping us out on this one. Uh, Woody is over in Tofino right now, enjoying some of the uh, the surf, and uh, I'm on my way to Tokyo, so that's uh, that's why we had to uh, adjust a little bit. So, Hutch, uh, thanks for uh, finding a solution to make this work. It's my pleasure. How's the surfing this week, Woody? I'll tell you next podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, like you're surfing right now. That's what he's. Oh, he's, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's awesome. Thankfully, here <laughs> in Tofino, you've had a whole week of surfing. Are you sore? I'm I'm sore. I'm tired. I'm ready to come home and relax in the hot tub. I am happy to report that uh, there were no great white sharks uh, in Tofino. Thanks to Darren for sending the news story of the great white attacking the surfer in San Francisco. Glad to hear he's okay. As I was basically getting ready to leave, I was really happy to... Nothing like heading out for a surf trip and having somebody send you great white attack surfer stories. Those really melt the heart. So thanks, Darren. Thankfully, the killer whales don't come into the shore and there are no big sharks in Tofino. The the best part about the killer whales is they, they, at least they breathe. So you can see them somewhat uh, coming up. Uh, Those sharkies. They, they don't need air. And I sent you the great white attack in San Francisco uh, because the shark just took one bite and let go. So, and yeah, maybe that's typically what they do. The diff- the problem is one bites often enough. Right. Well, I was thinking maybe the shark could give you a, a, a little bit of a massage, maybe take a bite out of that left shoulder that's bothering you so much. A little, mas- yeah, a little, little therapy on the shoulder. Maybe give me a haircut while I'm at it. <laughs> you guys can foam roll together. If it bites you anywhere near your head, that shark will will cough and gag and spit that uh, that rug right out. That oh. might be your best offense. First like shark to have a hairball. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say. Be like a cat. And uh, oh. in, in the subject of the uh, the Stanley Cup final, like what a what a great performance! Uh, one of the best goaltenders in the world coming up uh, big and 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 winning a championship. Uh, just a splendid performance. Uh, uh, on the back end out of the crease in this in this what was a series with a great goaltending matchup yes that goaltender did a great job yes <laughs> <laughs> see Hutch was looking at me like uh, i'm not even gonna jump into this uh yeah, this i thing. don't know where to go yeah. uh that is uh that us i we actually had the conversation this week uh on the radio show that i do uh locally in las vegas about how it's kind of transitioned uh we, we love carrie price but if you were going to play uh, one game and pick one goaltender, we always used to love this during the Patrick Waugh era, the Marty Bruder, uh, going through uh, that uh, that run of incredible goaltenders where uh, you, there was a conversation. Do you take Waugh? Do you take Bruder? Do you take Hasek? Do you take uh, uh, some of these, uh, these guys that were right there? It's pretty clear that Andre Vasilevsky would be that guy. These, what round? This, what What's round that? are they rested and what round of the playoffs is that game? It's one game anytime. Game seven, Olympic final, just, whatever just it is. Point, just pointing out, you know, the change in Kerry's performance over the four right. rounds, unfortunately. Yeah. And 
Good, yeah, good, good point. Hey, hey I, listen, I know give me, give me a month off. Yeah, give Carrier a month off, and I, I might. There, it's funny because I've had this conversation with a lot of goalie coaches, and up until the final, a lot of them were back on. These are NHL goalie coaches back on the carry best in the world thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so when rested, he still has that ability to be that guy. And then again, we talked about it last week about what this next season's going to look like. I think actually, you know. Brad Teeson's a great example, like the need to sort of have somebody that can step into the crease and give other guys time off could be a big part of um, this upcoming season for guys like Kerry. But uh, you know what, Vasilevsky, I, I thought uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, to go back to last week's rightful Vesna Trophy winner and the celebration and what a happy guy I was, if we recall from last episode about the whole thing. What did, you were what, did Flower, what, did, what did Flower say? He said Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the world right now. And Rod Brindamore was so complimentary of Andre Vasilevsky. But here's my real reason for bringing it up. If Vasilevsky's one, Carey Price is two, knocking on one or challenging uh, for number one at times, who would be three? And I judge by the silence, as I just throw this at you, could be uh, part of the reason why there's uh, such quiet uh, reaction to the question, but there's also the possibility that the reason why it was met with uh, with silence is there's no real hierarchy right now. Would it be based on Mark Andre Fleury's year this year, Mark Andre Fleury? If you're going to start one year, would it be Connor Hellebuck who was uh, fourth in Vesna Trophy voting and won the Vesna Trophy a year ago, but hasn't won a Stanley Cup? Uh, odds are that he's going to be. Team USA's goaltender at the at the Olympic Games, but like who would or, or John Gibson? Sorry, uh, I I'm, I'll just uh, preface that, but like there's not <laughs> Thatcher I, I, Demko. I clear. Thatcher Demko. Okay. No, listen, listen. This is this is a great. What I love is we may we may have a different opinion this, of this once we see Andre Vasilevsky behind Team Russia, a team that doesn't defend. Because here's mm-hmm. the thing. We're two years removed from the Tampa Bay Lightning being knocked out in the first round. And it's not yes. like it was Vasilevsky's fault. And it's interesting, Hutch, because you asked what round, and you quickly went to, I realized you were going with Kerry being rested early in the playoffs, and you might pick him. But Just raising uh, the question, not saying I would necessarily. Just, no, no, but yeah. Uh, but uh, my you mind say went, the same thing about Fleury. Well, my mind went to Vasilevsky. Yeah, Fleury, the first four games of the playoffs was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Only reason they get past many, but... My mind went to Vasilevsky because I think he's been at his shakiest in playoffs over the course of his career in the first round, and then he just builds and gets better. But the first round against Columbus, when they were a team that was loose defensively, as good as he was in a year that he won the Vesna Trophy and was full value for it, they don't get out of the first round. Tampa, since then, has become an elite defensive team. So let's see what this all looks like when they're behind their respective national programs. And, you know, does Russia... Does Russia ever figure out how to defend at that level? And if not, is Andre as the best goalie in the world enough to overcome that? Whereas Kerry's got the Olympic gold medals behind teams that batten down. He's got the gold medal behind the team that absolutely batten down the hatches yeah. with all that talent, played shut down hockey for Mike Babcock. So at the end of the day, goaltending never exists in a vacuum and we judge them. But with those with those great defensive teams in front of them. I'll be curious to see what they all look like with different defenses in front of them at the Olympics. Not just the defenses, but I and I don't even know how we'd ever delve into this, but maybe we bring our buddy Pete on or something. But 
what's the psychological piece to all of this? Because Carrie Carrie knows he's got to let in two or fewer, or they're not winning the game. And Vassy knows yeah. he's got, you know, he's got that offense. It's great that they're playing better defensive hockey, but they've got the tools to help him if if he makes a mistake. And I I don't think we could discount that. And I think Woody, you you had a great example bringing up the Olympics. It'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Here's an exercise for you uh, tomorrow when you're uh, out on the surfboard, uh, and Hutch, you're you're just you're a dad, and you're carrying the weight of in goal. You're the only one that's not uh, uh, out and about doing fun stuff, so you can sit in the office uh, and curse us and I'm do having, the same I'm exercise. Having fun right now. Okay. The day we release this, yeah, I'm at a junior tryout. It's going really well too. <laughs> so as you're sitting there at the junior tryout, and Woody's on the surfboard. Uh, and I'm on an airplane traveling halfway around the world. Hey, you're the here's, one who's miserable right now. Here's the exercise. Yes, you're right. Now the middle seat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> imagine so, if Woody was beside you, then you'd really be miserable. So, He'd be whining the about the eye covers. They're letting some light leak in so he can't sleep well yeah. enough. And Listen, you don't have you the guys, right brand of bottled water. And how come this towel isn't heated well enough for me? You guys were making jokes earlier about uh, sharks and whatever. We developed after a couple of close encounters in Hawaii a rule amongst the kids when we were snorkeling. If possible, always keep an overweight tourist between you and the open ocean. Now I'm wishing Darren's going to get that same guy sitting next to him on either side of the middle seat. You just wish I was swimming with you then. (laughs) No, you look good, man. You look really good. Thanks, Uh, You don't qualify uh, at all. Uh, for that, I'm not sure you ever did, uh, but your self-deprecation is uh, is is appreciated for the common. Uh, by the way, instead of the eye mask, I'm wearing my Sensorina headset. There you just, go. Just to be that do they, person. Do they make you put that away when the when the attendants tell you you have to put your electronic devices oh, away? But when when they do meal service and I'm stopping pucks, <laughs> oh, it gets a little uh, messy. How about when the big guy next to you in that middle seat starts snoring? It's like boom, blocker saying <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> Little, oh, I'm just doing my elbow shrug saves right now. Little chicken wing there, buddy. Uh, Darren, Darren, you have to do it. And you have to get somebody in the seat in front of you to film this. It would be priceless. Somewhere over the Pacific. It would be so good. <laughs> With my Sensorina headset. Uh, so here's the exercise. I want you to pick the game one starters for the various federations for the Beijing Olympics. Or we can just do it as who plays the most of the game, most games for each federation, like who, who would be their number one goaltender. Some teams will switch, uh, and some teams, depending on competition, won't start their, their, their number one, uh, depending on, on what kind of format they go with. Uh, some teams end up changing, like uh, Canada has on a couple of different occasions at the Olympic Games. Uh, switching of the goaltenders. But who ends up being Russia's number one guy? Who ends up being Canada? Well, Bobrovsky? I know he he's, he didn't play well in, in the in the playoffs and hasn't had great two years, but he's a two-time Vezina Trophy winner. Like, there's... I'm he's not also, And he's also been really loyal to Russia and gone back to tournaments, yeah. and that holds just, a lot of weight went, with them. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobrovsky, who's Canada's starter? Uh, who is um, Sweden's starter? Like, let's, let's go... There's the exercise for you, for all the the, the federations. It's do we, do it's we get to do homework, like, or are you making us do this now? No, 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 no. Homework. It's okay. homework. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for ruining the vacation, Darren. 
So, so on the next episode, we can do Olympic starters while Darren is at the Olympics. Yes. I like it. Yes. See so how that all comes together? the Olympic water polo starter goaltenders. I'm telling you, Olympic uh, water polo goaltenders, I don't know how they do it. It's like they're standing on, on a little shelf and they just come flying out of the water. It's oh, unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. Uh, congratulations to Dylan Ferguson, uh, your buddy, a good buddy of Ingle, uh with the Kelly Cup victory. And uh, that was impressive. A four-game win for Fort Wayne Comets, Comets with a K, and Ben Boudreau. Uh, a cool little story as the head coach of the Fort Wayne Comets. So, uh, Hutch, that that's great for Dylan Ferguson coming through a, a difficult year for all goaltenders, and especially when you get into the American Hockey League and the ECHL and trying to balance schedules and 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 playing time. And we know that uh, that playing time was hard to get for most goaltenders. Uh, he comes through with a ring. Yeah, really excited for Fergie and. Uh, I would like to say now that it's Friday that I really enjoyed catching up with him yesterday when he made it back to Victoria, but uh, we're not sure when exactly he's coming up. I should have had Siri do that for me. Fergie does train up here um, every summer, and we're, we've already spoken about uh, spending some time on the ice. Really looking forward to uh, congratulating him on that fantastic victory. It's uh, let's hope it's um, you know an- another step as he he can make another step in his career. Uh, showing you can uh, pull off the win in the championship game, obviously should hold a lot of weight with, um, you know, with this team next year. Boy, Vegas is kind of stacked, stacked when it comes to goaltending oh, between the American League, uh, the ECHL, and oh, who, how'd they do in the NHL this year? Pretty darn good. Little little Vesna Trophy there, little AHL goaltender of the year for Logan Thompson. Make sure you go back and check out that interview we had with him. That was one of our one of our well, they're all great, right, Darren? They're all good episodes, yeah. but I really enjoyed that one. And then Fergie, we'll have to get him on. But also, uh, you mentioned uh, Ben Boudreau, of course, the son of Bruce Boudreau, uh, who also won as in the ECHL in 1999, I believe, as a head coach. And a little shout out, they don't have a dedicated goalie coach down there. So Ben is managing everything on his own in terms of being a head coach in the ECHL. But I do know that you know, another friend of the program, Freddie Brathwaite, has you know been in communication as the Vegas Golden Knights development coach and obviously Fort Wayne with the affiliation there. Uh, been in touch with the coach and with the goaltender a little bit and, and played a bit of a role there too. So um, congratulations to everyone. And you're right, Darren. That's uh, the heck of a depth chart for the Golden Knights right now. Logjam. Jennings Trophy, Vesna Trophy. I- I apologize, but I don't know the name of the American Hockey League trophy. But Baz Bastian, thank you uh, oh. very much uh, for top goaltender in the American Hockey League, and now a championship uh, for uh, the ECHL. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff uh, on on that front. And the one of the Jennings uh, Trophy recipients, Robin Leonard, uses the uh, Warrior Ritual Stick. And today in our Gear segment, we are going to chat about the uh, the Ritual V2 stick as we head over to the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, and join Cam uh, with Woody talking about this new release. Welcome back to Goalie Utopia. You already saw Cam over in the shooting room testing out the new Warrior stick. We've got a whole line, four new sticks in the series. Cam, it's not the one you were ripping shots with, although given your muffin status as a shooter, I'm not sure ripping is the way to go. Well, don't chirp me. We got the film. 
What's new? What's changed? Why am I buying this one? <laughs> why, why are you trying to escape? Why are you trying to escape already before? Like, honestly, you said, why am I buying this one? Like, I got to say, from a, an aesthetic standpoint, she's pretty sharp. That would, uh, not that we buy equipment just because of how it looks, but some of us are a little more fashion yes, conscious. Yes, that never happens when it comes to goalie. We never buy equipment on how it looks. Well, I mean, I never know. But I, I'm a little more fashion conscious. You come out in the same outfit every single week. I'm mixing it up all the time. Trying mandated, to look mandated hockey shop uniform. Little uh, vintage goalie lid today. Little love to our friends over at Vintage Goalie. Does such a good job. On to the Warrior Twig. Um, walk me through what, like, first off, what is it called? Because these things get confusing to me. I'm a simple guy with not a lot of brain cells left. <laughs> Warrior V2 Pro Plus. Taking over for the Warrior V1 line. Top end stick. What's changed? What's remained the same? Which is a lot of important things here. Um, Again, great call on the start of it. The graphic here, very, very nice blacked out kind of style of look with the Silver Warrior logos. That, um, like that blade, I wouldn't even want to throw tape on that. It's so pretty. It's so shiny. It's beautiful. So part of the reasoning for this new kind of style of graphic, though, is to call out the carbon weave and how they've layered it and what it is. So they've kind of changed the way the nomenclature is of the, of the stick. Um, they call it a Minimus Carbon 25. So... Uh, Basically, what's happening here is that what that's calling out is actually how they layer the carbon in, in the tighter weaves, for example. So the bigger blocks here is comparison to when you see the step down, they'll see a little bit tighter. Uh, again, these guys, very strong, rigid. The stick itself has more of a mid-kick flex to it. Um, you're still featuring their Vivex technology. So a stick that's already kind of led the way in vibration dampening continues with that same style of vibration dampening. Vibex really does make a difference. You know, you don't know unless you try it. And one of these ones is like definitely recommended. Just yeah, I know we we're going back to our days, like reviewing the original back at the, at the original end goal and reviewing the original ritual line. One of the things that that was at a time when composite sticks didn't feel good. There were a lot of vibrations and. I remember talking to the, to, to the people involved about the studies they were doing and how they had actually in, inserted um, this vibration system that, you know, they tested the wavelengths that we feel and put materials in there to specifically eliminate those wavelengths. So they've been ahead of the curve in terms of uh, feel for a composite stick, and that continues in the new line. One of the nice features that still carries over to um, that I quite liked as well as the slide grip. Um, what that is, basically raised rails on the actual shaft of the stick itself. Hard to see unless you do an up-close shot, so we can see that a little bit in our extra footage. But really, for throwing that poke check, it allows that glove to slip very, very easily along the shaft of the stick. Um, great overall feel. Great price point. at the pro end. <laughs> but it's par for the course when you're getting up to do a stick of this kind of quality. Okay, so you talked about the minimus carbon, you talked about the mid-flex point. I mean, we have different flex points in terms of where uh, a stick flexes, but when you said, when you talked about that carbon being stronger and stiffer, is this a more, like, we know where it kicks, is this an easier kick, a more flexible stick, or I think a CCM, like E-flex is their one that really bows? And the axis is a lot more rigid. Where does this fall in? Correct. Comparison? So if you want to, if you want to kind of make that comparison, if you're looking for more of that more flexible stick that uh, you know kicks a little bit more, they consider the M series the more flexible of the options, um, with a lower kick point on the M series stick. Really designed to get that bow and flex so closer to that E flex. So this would be more of that axis style in terms of a stiffer stick. 
Still got, I mean, it's still got good flex. It's just like you're not, you're not bowling this like a Brett Hall one no, tee. That is correct. And all the people watching are like, who's Brett Hall? That's <laughs> right. I'm old. So as we trickle down the lines, uh, a couple quick things that remain the same. Three different curve options. So you'll still have your wedge, your twist, and your mid curve, uh, which carry over. So you'll see the name nomenclature drop because they used to be labeled Quick, Morazic, uh, and Bishop for the twist. Um, your curve comparison is your twist is the same as a Bauer PP31. Um, your um, wedge curve is very similar to the Carey Price curve, for example, that you find um, in CCM. Um, and then this quick curve, very similar to the Shearwood P41. So some quick comparables and some other brands transfer all the way throughout the line. Let's look at the next price point. Hold on, hold on. Twist, oh. twist and wedge, like it's 40 degrees out right now. I like that. Just... And you're wearing a sweater. so. You know, maybe again with the brain couple cells. Couple less layers. Again with the brain cells, but fashion over function, folks. Um, that like that sounds like a nice, cool summer drink right about now. I'd like a little twist and a wedge. Okay. <laughs> back to, now that, back to Warrior Six here. Okay. Next price point down. This is that's the uh, Ritual V2 Pro Plus that we just saw. This is just the Pro. Yeah. So your price drop. You're in a 249 range on this stick. Correct. I'm seeing some of the exact same slide grip. I love the feel, still strong graphics. I like the grip that they've got here. I like how it continues all the way up. But we notice a difference, as we talked about, in terms of when we see the carbon here, those patterns are a lot tighter. How is that going to play and feel? That's correct. So Minimus Carbis 12 with this one. Uh, what you're going to experience and you're going to feel, like if you are familiar with the original CR1, we'll keep that stick down. Or last year's V1 Pro, identical level stick. That's why the price point hasn't changed. You're getting that updated graphic. Um, basically, this is one of those situations, you know, they had a working formula. It works. Don't mess it up. That's why you're seeing a lot of the same features with this stick, just that updated graphic. Okay. So, next. Trick we one, Continue yeah. down the line. Again, what, what you see with the Warriors composite stick lines is... As you drop price points, your materials change, some of your properties change. This one, we're into the V2 E plus. Upside, ah, upside down, ah, down ah. it looks like a three. Again, <laughs> brain cells, it's hot out. I'm not that bright to start with. I can feel the same, similar grip, maybe not quite the same in terms of around the palm of the hand, but it still has those rails that you talked about all the way up. Sure. I'm not seeing it. It's painted over, so I don't see what's underneath. You tell me what's underneath and how is it going to flex? How is it going to play in comparison? So a little bit stiffer, a little bit more rigid uh, stick because of uh, you're using more of a standard carbon layering. They still are featuring their Mibonex carbon, um, but it counts a little bit lower, which means that the stick itself is going to be a little bit heavier. Um, in theory, if you're looking for that kind of price point level stick, um, especially if you're chewing through six quite a bit, we're hitting a 190 price point with this one. Um, again, a little bit more price conscious goalie looking for something that, you know, you know, lots of pucks are hitting them. They need a bit more practice. They're not as concerned with the lightest weight stick that they could possibly get their hands on. That's a great option. It does come in a black graphic as well, which does show off the carbon layering as well. However, with this one, uh, it's just a white look. So we decided to switch it up here as we were showing off some of these models. Minimus Carbon, that's the V2 E+, and that's 189 mm -hmm. uh, as a price point stick. And now we get into the 129 real bargain stick. And again, 
So we've we've got a little bit of tackiness on the grip, but not the not the sort of textured. Correct. Like a little stickiness, but not the same texture. We don't have the slide rail. We just got a nice, simple looking, quite attractive still carbon stick. Still got a little bit of flex in it. Uh, sometimes with these ones, I can find that the cheaper ones they are heavier, but they can be more durable. Even is that is that what we find in this one? I shy away from saying the word durability as which one's better. That said, um, great price point coming in at 130 bucks. Uh, you're basically getting you're still getting Vibex, which is fantastic, but it's more of your standard composite stick. Not too much exciting. The name callouts are there. Vibex is still there. Slide grip not pronounced the same way that you do find it on the other three price points. That said, again, when shopping at this price point, not as concerned for some of those fancy things. I want a stick that's going to last and it's going to be durable. That's what you're going to have here. I said it, even though I wasn't supposed to. I, I tend to shy away from the word durability. I caught myself. Great. See? Great. And... Uh, this might be a perfect uh, warm-up stick. The guys like to make fun of me for the warm-up sticks. but uh... So there is some truth behind this. Again, starting out your warm-up with, you know, one of those lower price point sticks, getting a chance to make sure that this is the one that gets beat the crap out of in warm-ups, and then you take out your game stick for when you're ready to perform. I, it doesn't really apply to me because the truth is they just shoot at my head in warm-ups, my teammates. Thanks, guys. Way to go. Um, but uh, every once in a while, they, they put it along the ice, and it's nice not to blow out your game stick. The other thing is when your game stick's a little lighter, Go through the warm-ups with the heavier stick, get a lighter one, feels a little lighter. Everybody's just laughing at me right now because they think that's absurd, but uh, Hutch, Millard, laugh away. Uh, so we got these new ones. Let's we re-roll be, back yeah, here to the warrior thing again. So we still got some of last year's models. The V1 series on sale. You can check them out at thehockeyshop.com or you can give me a call here at 604-589-8299. I saw, I saw when we came in and I was looking for you and I couldn't find you. Like, you got a whole separate rack. And I'm guessing, especially right now, like, we're cup final right now. Carey Price using that stick. Uh, I'm guessing they're not going to last. So, really good sale prices on the Warrior V1 line now that they've got the new V2. I don't want to say, like, is blowout a word I should use? Are you getting pretty close to that? So, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. If you've got any questions about lie, curve, all those things, cam working, they get a hold of you. 604-589-8299. So I already said that one, but you can get me at 1-800-567-7790. The beauty about the Warrior stuff goes across the border. Not everything does. So not only are you getting a discount because the V1 is on sale, you're coming from the States, you're getting that exchange rate, which slipped a little, but still solid around 1.2. So like you're going to end up getting like 40% off if you're buying this one from the U.S. Make sure you contact Cam. Check out what, what's left in the inventory from their Warrior V1 line. Top to bottom, it's all on sale at thehockeyshop.com. I, I think Cam's just trying to sell more sticks. Just, I'm just going to say it right now. Cam's just trying to sell more sticks as a way to, to feed your ego, Woody. I think there's merit to a warm-up stick. I do. But, uh, and when we make fun of you, I think there's merit to it if you're taking a 25-minute warm-up. In men's league, you're taking six shots. Three of them come at the same time. And, and it... Two, two of them are in the head. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the idea of having a warm-up stick in men's league is, uh, is depleted a little bit. But, but when it comes to uh, high-level 
uh, U13, 14 uh, through junior, I, I think there's some more, uh, some merit to it. Well, and as Cam said, practice stick, right? Like, like yeah. don't, you know, like, let's be honest, some of these twigs are getting into the $300 range, 300 plus. If that's what you're got and that's how you're rolling, the last thing you want is, you know, you're teammate snapping it in half uh, with a root with a shot you'd prefer to save that for a little game action so some good options there and i know cam didn't want to say it but we've talked about this before the higher price point sticks you get into the fancier carbon the better weaves the lighter material that's going to have more flex still be durable but and and be lighter sometimes the lower price point sticks it's not as fancy it is heavier but there's a durability there too they weigh a little more, there's a little more su- substance to them, and they can last a little longer. So ideal for that practice stick when you're going to, you know, if you're going to take a couple hundred shots in practice, maybe not the warm up for six shots at the head, Darren, you're right, I'll grant you that, but I'm still going to use it. Um, but yeah, for sure, practice stick, there's an idea. I would love to have Cam sit down as he's, you know, each time he tells us about last year's top of the line model going on sale and what an awesome deal it is. I would love to have Cam compare sort of the second tier stick this year to the top tier stick last year. Or how far back do we have to go before this year's second tier model is every bit as good, if not better, than the top of the line model? Is it two years? Is it three years? The technology. Oh, okay, now I understand what you. I, I was I was trying to follow the shells there. Yeah, uh, and, and and under the half coconut. Uh, it works in my brain. <laughs> And just and to see, but now I now I I get what you mean. I I I think you could do that with with every piece of equipment. Well, and the reason it came up is we actually you know the gear segments as as you know are are published over on YouTube. They're done in video. There's a little bit more detail sometimes there. And we had somebody leave a comment saying, "What's a better deal, the Bauer One X or the Bauer Three X pads?" And we don't need to go down that road right now. And immediately I thought to myself, well. Well, of course, it must be the 3X. It's the newer one. But then I wasn't really sure how to answer that in great detail because, of course, the 3X is now the second tier model, but the 1X was the top of the line at the time. I think with all gear, it would be a fascinating thing because these companies are just doing such incredible work with the technology now. It's funny because when you talked about that generation skipping thing, like to me, that 3X is a perfect example because that pad has everything but the Cortex skin and the Cortex, you know, the sort of outer layer and so other than that it pretty much compares to a pro level pad of almost anything that doesn't have that property so um it it is a really good question it's a fascinating discussion i will point out that i believe cam said think it might have been that second price point model in that interview we just did um really no change like it's just a graphic update but it's essentially the same stick at at one of those price point models from the V1 to the V2. And so, you know, which even makes it more important to go get whatever's left of that V1 version right now because it's it's cheaper. It's 30% off. You didn't say whether you were actually going to do what Hutch asked. I rarely do what Hutch asks. <laughs> I'll ask Cam. <laughs> yeah, you just can ask Cam out. yourself, Hutch. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Cam and I will just do our own sort of under the radar <laughs> gear segment. Cam and I are launching a, a YouTube channel just to just to fight with Woody. What what Woody didn't ask, or what what Woody refused to ask. There you go. Or what Cam couldn't get in because Woody was talking so much. <laughs> you like just think about our viewership would go up if we just had episodes where people didn't have to look at my hair. 
my wife saw your hair the other day. She's like, what's going on there? It's almost as much hair as Friedman's got. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Elliot's. There's, uh, there's way more salad up top here than what Elliot's rocking. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, though, is doing it intentionally. I, I think what Woody's doing is just like organic. That's He's just getting ready for Tofino. I mean, uh, he was getting ready for Tofino and now he fits in perfectly this week. Woody, are you wearing a cap, a uh, bathing cap out there on the surfboard? No, uh, you, you, uh, you, I mean, we have wet, it's, it's cold as. But do you, uh, do you have a, are you wearing a hood? I don't, ha- I don't, I don't wear a hood. I usually like to, I like to go. Woody's let, like to, I like to let it flow. No, no booties on the feet either. Full four, three wetsuit. You don't wear suit. booties? No, I can't feel the board on my feet. Like I just, I, I can't do it. I, I'm not good enough to, to wear booties. I need to sort of have a little bit of feel. Yeah, I wear booties. All yeah, you day. strike me as a booty guy. Yeah, total booty. Total. I wear mittens too. <laughs> they got those. That wool gets a little soggy immediately. It's it's. But the strings keep it uh, keep it uh, like I, I pipe it right through the wetsuit, and the strings on the on the on the mittens keep it nice and and handy. Uh, let's get into our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina Sensorina VR. Uh, loving wearing my Sensorina VR headset, uh, Oculus headset uh, on the plane over to the uh, Tokyo Summer Olympics and uh, and working on my reaction time. It, it's awesome. Ted next to me has complained twice, uh, and I'm told that if I spill his wine one more time, uh, I could be out. But that uh, that's for uh, for episode number 128 uh, as we come back. But uh, but this is a cool conversation, a cool journey. Brad Teeson, I I've known. Of Brad Teeson for a long time, and that's the joy of uh, of the relationships that uh, that you guys have at Ingle with these uh, athletes and these coaches. Is I didn't know his story, and it's it's fascinating, Woody. Yeah, no, I enjoyed this one, and you know, as as Hutch can tell us here, I I didn't realize it when we were doing it. Like, obviously, he's a local guy, uh, Alder Grove being our neck of the woods, and as you'll hear, he's a hockey shop guy too. Um, that's where he got his first set. We get into that in the interview, but Hutch, there's some tie-ins between the origins of In Goal Magazine and Brad Teeson. Like this is sort of a first for us. And I feel bad. I didn't know he was a local guy till your interview, Woody, because our connection goes way back to this might even be before Woody joined the fold. I'm not sure. It was real close. Uh, we had a photographer for several years, Scott Slingsby, a fantastic photographer in Boston who, uh, also happens to be a, a pilot. And uh, I was going through some of his stuff because I, I knew we'd have some photo of, of Tees that we could use for the for the podcast and discovered that he actually had been shooting him in his first season in the American League. And uh, and so it, it's just really fun that here, here we've been around so long now, guys, that uh, we've got an athlete who's come in at the beginning of their pro career They've uh, evolved all the way through that professional career, and now here they are on the podcast talking about the transition into coaching. Uh, it still feels like we just got started, and here we were for an entire career. And a 12-year pro career, right? Like yeah. the, the, the NHL portion, we talk about that. He had the five games with the Penguins in 11-12. Um, didn't get back to the National Hockey League, but he had a really good pro career and ended it just a, like just over a month ago and now moving into the development side. And so... You know, coming full circle, what's kind of going to be kind of neat this year is the border opens back up, and now the Vancouver Canucks are putting their affiliate in Abbotsford. He's going to get to come home at some point. I haven't looked at the schedule with the Cleveland Monsters, 
as a goalie coach, come back to the Abbotsford Alder Grove area with the team. Uh, and I'm looking forward to being right there uh, when they do to sort of cover that and say hi in person and everything comes full circle. <laughs> I feel very, I feel like like this, I should be having this conversation well on the surfboard. I'm feeling very zen about the whole thing. He'll have to make his return to the hockey shop and you and Cam and oh, Tease yeah. can sit down he, there and go over some gear. And he won't believe it either, right? Because he's OG hockey shop. Back in the day when it was across the street on the other side, it was much smaller, still packed with goalie equipment, but in a that sort of old school mom and pop manner, you know, like where the pads were like lined up on the floor, like six rows deep. Um, now it's they got the wall displays. They got an entire level dedicated to goaltending. Before it was a corner of the store, it was still the place to go in Vancouver. And that's where the origins are. But man, like I, I actually, you know what? We got to set that up because just for him to see what it's like now would probably be a shocker. And if he wanted to visit the old shop, he could just put on his uh, Sensorina uh, VR headset and uh, and take a trip down. Well, they probably don't have that, but uh, but it, uh, it's it's my best segue over to uh, to talking about what's going on with uh, with Sensorina. Well, I know you love exploring all the apps that are available. That's one of the cool things. You get your Sensorina, yep. and you still get to dive into this whole world of VR. And there must be some real estate VR out there. Hey, it's it's summer, guys, and training changes a little bit in the summer. I know a lot of goaltenders are out there getting to camps, doing some private lessons. I hope many of you are out there playing baseball, golf, whatever it might be. Multi-sports still matters. But one of the best ways that you can train as a goaltender in the summer, all year long, is by trying Sense Arena and the VR goaltending training. It is so realistic. We keep talking about how realistic it is, guys, how you feel like you're stepping onto the ice into a real rink facing real shots. But I think what we forget is it's not there to replace your on-ice time. It's there to augment it. In, in many ways, it's replacing all those things we used to do off-ice when we were looking for a way to train away from the rink. Bouncing tennis balls off the walls, juggling, um, you know, all those neuro drills that we do, like the, the grids and so on. Like Those are all something you can do inside Sense Arena today a thousand times better. You're tracking real pucks from real shooters. Uh, they're doing diagnostics on your game, creating a training plan for you to help those areas of the game that need help. Uh, that is so far from bouncing a tennis ball off the wall outside the dressing room. Can't even begin to describe it, guys. So what an incredible tool it is for goaltenders. And uh, just encourage people, if you haven't yet, give it a try. Uh, we don't recommend using it on the airplane as you're flying overseas. It's probably not safe for use there. <laughs> unless you're lucky enough to have the entire row to yourself. Otherwise, Sensorine is your thing. Yeah, uh, Ted will will give you the testimonial on that, uh, my, my seatmate. Uh, I want the video. We, we bonded. We bonded in a, in, a, in a special way where we both agreed that we'd never see each other again. That's <laughs> we, came, we came to that con conclusion. But I if know Ted I, is I, Ted I brought Lasso, my... I really want the video. I, I want uh, I wanted to take it over because I knew I was going to have to do some quarantine and uh, and it's perfect. It just uh, it doesn't supplement ice or anything like that, but it, it also keeps you attached to the game. I just we we love the game. So it, if you're going to the cottage for a week, uh, your your athlete can take it along with them and feel like they're they're not giving up a week's training or or a week's. Uh, dedication to the sport and the craft so i i think there's there's so many benefits to it woody i, I think we're gonna have to uh there might just be some video coming back of some idiot with bad hair 
on the beach in Tofino rocking his sense arena. I, I won't have to worry about hitting anyone. You good enough to surf in it? Yeah, not if we want it to come back in one piece or <laughs> n- dry. A little tough, get, little tough to sort of paddle out with the uh, VR headset on and, and keep it dry. I'll be honest there. So, so but, how about along with the Olympic challenge, we each have a, cha- a challenge this week. Who can get a photo in the craziest location using their sense arena? Done. I'm in. Done. I'm the only one who has to come up with a new one. You both have yours already, but I will. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be walking down the jetway. I need I need Darren in the middle row. Everybody else asleep, middle of the night, jumping up, screaming. Did you see that safe <laughs> windmill? <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's upsetting. Uh, so Brad Teeson, uh with us uh, today on the Sense Arena Sense Arena VR feature interview. Uh, it's a uh, marvelous uh, discussion uh, when you talk about uh, athlete to coach, athlete and coach to now coach. Uh, it's a, a great discussion. The feature interview on InGoal Radio, the podcast. Pleased to be joined on the In Goal Radio podcast by Brad Thiessen, the Columbus Blue Jackets' new goaltending development director, goaltending development coach in the American Hockey League. That's the new title, but in some ways, you've kind of been acting in that role for a while. We, it's funny, we, this just is coincidence. We recently had Jeff Glass on the podcast, and he unofficially had started doing a little bit of mentoring. You've been doing this for, I guess, since, what, 2019, where you were playing. You just retired three or four weeks ago from your playing career, but you were already kind of working in a mentorship role and a coaching role with the Blue Jackets and their affiliate down in Cleveland. Can you walk us through how that started? And then I got a whole bunch of questions on how it worked. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was the brainchild of uh, Bill Zito, who was our uh, assistant GM in Columbus. He's the GM of uh, Cleveland here. Um, now, obviously, with, with Florida, but three years ago, I had uh, played half a season in Cleveland, um, had some knee issues, had to get cleaned up and, and ended up missing about half that season there. Um, and Bill came to me and was like, hey, you know, we, we still think that you can play, but we got young kids coming along. What do you think about, you know, trying to do a player coach thing? And uh, I was I was on board. I mean, I didn't want to leave Cleveland. I wanted to be able to, you know, try and keep playing and, and to be able to see what the coaching world was like. I mean, it was kind of a win-win. Um, wasn't really sure what it looked like. I didn't know anybody who had had that kind of role before. So we just kind of, kind of winged it at first, but <laughs> we made it work. And three years later, um, you know, it was funny talking to Sudsy and, and Jeff Glass uh, over the summer last year. They kind of like thought about that um, same kind of role there for, for them in Anaheim and San Diego. And, um, you know, was able to, to kind of have someone else uh, alongside me in, in that role this year in the league. Now, did you have anyone you could lean on? Or like you said, were you just kind of making it up as you go? Because I got to be honest, the last one I can think of that really embraced that or started in that dual role was probably Roly Melanson. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know anybody, uh, especially in the goalie role. I mean, I think there's some guys in the East Coast League that have that, um, you know, player coach title who are maybe forwards or defensemen and, and uh, kind of do, do that. But, you know, the first time, I walked on the ice, had all my gear, had like the bucket of pucks with me and started uh, uh, working the guys through some drills. And, and uh, you know, we kind of all worked through it together. And, and my partners that first year were Matisse Kavonix and, and J.F. Ruby. And 
um, you know, they were super supportive of me as, as uh, you know, I can only imagine what it was like for them to, to see their goalie coach uh, also fully suited up and, and right alongside them. So, What about the dynamics in terms of you were still playing, you still got into a bunch of games in 2019. You, I mean, you went on, you went on a run late in the season and into the playoffs and played some, played some great goal, kind of got the team into the playoffs. Um, how did you find that balance between when you were a goalie and when you were out there as a goalie versus when you walked into the coach's room? Like, were there, did you have to almost have two different personalities for those two different roles or two different, like, did you have to turn one on and the other off? How did that work? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I had two things, two rules almost that I kind of tried to live by. And I made it clear right at the beginning of the year with coaches and management, and also, also my other goalie partners that, um, you know, the guys that I was working with, those guys were, you know, first and foremost, it was about them. It wasn't about me as a player anymore. It was, it was, you know, it was about their journey, their opportunity. And they had to know that I had their back and that I wasn't going to be kind of going behind them and, and trying to fight for playing time or, or whatever, it was, you know, it was about them. So I think that that kind of helped. There were, there were times and kind of awkward times where maybe, you know, I was probably the guy that that coaches or management wanted to play in order to maybe win games at a certain point. But, you know, I tried to really hold strong to that because as soon as you start playing games while the other two are still, you know, healthy and, and, and able to play games, then it's kind of harder for, for me to have that trust factor with them when I'm you know, trying to work on some video with them or watching things with them. And, you know, they're looking at me like, hey, you're stealing my ice time right now. Why should I listen to you? So, um, that was something that, that was important for me. And then on the playing side, uh, I always tried to stay um, more towards the player group. Like I, I wanted to be a part of the team. I wanted to be uh, one of the guys so that if I did have to step in, um, you know, as a goalie, you want to be, you want to be with the group. You want to feel like you're really, uh, you know, part of the guys and, and also, um, you know, someone that they can trust, someone that, you know, it's not just coming from from somewhere else that um, they knew that you were putting in the time and the effort and and uh, were there to to pick them up when they needed it. So I, I really tried to to you know balance both sides, but I would say I tried to be part of the group as, as much as possible. Now, did anything about you as a goaltender change as a result of having the different perspective as a coach? Like, did did you? Was there any part of your game or how you thought about the game that, I mean, you're, you're already, I mean, you had a 13 year pro career you recently retired from here. So you're already like nine, 10 years into it before you start doing this dual role. But was there anything that your eyes were open to differently once you started that sort of mentoring and coaching side that you translated on the ice? Yeah, it, it definitely did. I think, uh, you know, when you're on the ice and you're gear and you're, you're trying to, you know, show maybe different techniques that you're working on to these other other kids and um, talking about different things in the video that you're studying and watching. Um, you know, you kind of have to, to walk the walk too because if you're asking them to do something, then you better be able to do it too. So um, to have that perspective and to be able to still be on the, on the playing side of things while still coaching, I think helped my, uh, you know, ability to coach and also ability to play. And then, um, so that was, that was, um, something that that helped me as a player and then also my mentality as as a player coach um you know your your time is kind of coming to an end as a player so at any time that I did get a chance to play it was just a real free feeling going out on the ice because you could really enjoy those opportunities to play because you 
you knew those were, you know, kind of coming to the end and you weren't going to get those opportunities much anymore. So um, just going on the ice and be able to have the opportunity to play games and practice and, and lace up your skates and put on the pads, uh, you know, those were some of my, my best memories of these last three years because it was, it was just, there was no pressure. It was just a lot of fun. The games, I mean, especially the position and goaltending, like it evolves so fast. Can you give us an example? I mean, the audience, you know, everyone who's listening here is is pretty much a puck stopper. So can you give us any examples of like a technique that, like you said, you were teaching to to these goalies that was new for you that you had to make sure you dialed in and, and were able to execute as well? Yeah, I think uh, something a lot that we worked on a lot over the last few years was just kind of like, you know, those wide rush plays when you're trying to play an overlap or get into your reverse and that just kind of that little footwork that, that it takes to be comfortable being outside your post, but also be able to kind of work back in when the time is right. So um, that's a real feel thing for a lot of guys. So for me too, like, you know, I can go out and, and try and feel things out and see what worked, what didn't work. And, um, you know, then, then I could really talk to the guys and, and we could kind of break it down as to, you know, everyone's different as to how they want to play those situations. But um, you know, here's some footwork and here's some of the things that that work and don't work. And I can kind of play around with it myself in those times. You talked about having fun and enjoying those moments when you did get back in the net, maybe more so than earlier in your career. Do you, it's easy to say, like a lot of, we hear that a lot, right? Like how important it is to just enjoy it. Do you think the perspective, like, can you translate that to some of these younger kids or do they, sometimes it's one of those things you got to go through to really know. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the thing. You'd like to be able to bottle that feeling up and be able to pass that on to to these kids as they're kind of going through their journey. And um, something that I've thought about is to try and you know how am I going to relay that to them because it's such an important part. Of, you get lost in everything when you're young like that. And, and I I know I was right there with them when I was first starting out. And you're in a, such a hurry to get to the NHL, and um, you know, you're worried about comparing yourself to other guys around the league and where they're at and where you're not at. And it just takes away from, you know, that enjoyment and that the reason that you play the game and why you started and just the, the fun and the ability to go out there and, and uh, use the abilities that you have. So, um, you know, that's something that I'll definitely be trying to relay to these kids as, as I start working with them. And, and hopefully, um, you know, some of my experiences can help them. Well, you, you mentioned that, that joy when you started playing. Where did, it, where did it start for you? You're from my neck of the woods, Alder Grove, uh, here in the Lower Mainland in, in Vancouver. How'd you get started in goal? Where'd that passion get ignited for you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Alder Grove. Um, grew up on a turkey and chicken farm back there and had two, two younger brothers. And the two of us and my dad would always be playing hockey in our basement. And, um, you know, actually, I never really got onto the ice probably until I was six or seven years old. And I, play, I had one year where I, I kind of tried everything. And by that point, I mean, a lot of the kids are, are good skaters. And I was kind of behind. I was off on the side trying to trying to just figure out how to stand up on these skates. And, and then uh, so after that first year, I kind of gravitated to the goal. I'm not sure, you know, why I went there. I, I played at a few tournaments and, and games here and there when it was ever, when you were kind of rotate the goalie around. And I enjoyed it. I love the just kind of the not the pressure, but the, you know, the goalie has a lot of uh, impact on the outcome of the game. I like that feeling. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people in that neck of the woods in that area that uh, kind of invested in me and, and in my goaltending as I kind of grew up and Sean Murray and Pascal Bolana and some of those guys who kind of taught me the, the real basics of goaltending and just, um, 
you know, kind of formed me as I, as I grew as a goaltender there. And a couple of names we're familiar with, both Sean Murray and Pascal Valana here at Ingle. From there into the, like, where did it become something that, you know, goaltending is what you, you were doing and, and enjoying and fell in love with to something where, you know, obviously into the BCHL and then Northeastern, like, what, at what point did this become something like, hey, I'm pretty good at this and um, let's give this a go? Yeah, I mean, probably I'd say 13, 14 years old is when I, you know, really wanted to invest, you know, significant time and effort into seeing where it could go. Obviously, you know, being in Alder Grove was a small AA association, so it wasn't, you know, didn't feel like I was getting the exposure that I, you know, maybe wanted at that time, but um, stuck it out there for my peewee and bantam years and then was was uh, lucky enough to catch on with uh, the delta ice Hawks playing junior b there as a 16 year old and then jump up to penticton and so things just kind of kind of worked out as i tried to navigate my way through that minor hockey and youth hockey world that's um you know kind of scary and and there's so much uh different pressures and and uh outside influences and and try to just kind of keep my eyes on you know what i was doing and and not worry about who was watching or where i was going to be and things kind of worked out worked themselves out there and get the opportunity at northeastern three years there like it looked like that last year in the bchl something clicked men i know sometimes you can never judge looking at a hockey db sometimes what happened before is a function of team play especially in a different era but it looked like something clicked that last year. You end up at Northeastern. Like, where, was there a point along there where there was something in your game or some element that it, from a coach that changed the trajectory for you? Yeah, um, my let's say after my first year in Penticton, uh, going to the second year. My first year was the last year of the Penticton Panthers, so that was uh, you know, the last year of the of the old Panthers, and, and then the new uh, the v, the V's regime as their you know, the powerhouse that they are now it was started back then when I, my first year and um, started working with Kim Dillabaugh. Uh, I would go up and, and uh, you know, spend three, four days with him in the summertime up in Kelowna there. And um, just a lot of the things that he worked with me on, um, you know, the, I was open my eyes to even just, you know, my stance, like how's my stance when the puck's in different areas of the ice, can I be elevated? My stick doesn't always have to be on the ice. Like as a little guy, just like, trying to present myself bigger and being able to time things and reading releases. And, um, you know, he was someone who really, you know, kind of opened my eyes to a lot of those, those things in my game. And, and, uh, you know, that kind of helped me take off those second, third years of junior hockey and, and into the, into college. And in college, any like, and Kim, obviously for those that, I mean, I, I would think most of the people listening know, obviously the, the goaltending coach of the Philadelphia Flyers now, and has had quite a good career himself moved on from those Kelowna days. Um, into Northeastern and three years there, decision to turn pro, you end up with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Walk us through that sort of transition and that rise because uh, the success there was pretty quick. Yeah, you know what? My college recruiting process, I had, uh, took three official visits, uh, one to North Dakota, one to Clarkson, and one to Cornell, and uh, never got, ended up getting an offer from North Dakota. Uh, Cornell and Clarkson both had offers, and, you know, it was just a, uh, situation where I, you know, I didn't, you know, they were good opportunities and good schools, but it just didn't, didn't feel right to me. And as I was actually going to commit to Clarkson and that day, Northeastern called and I had never even heard of Northeastern, didn't know it was in Boston, didn't know what a bean pot was, like, didn't know anything. I just, I, I remember talking to the coach and he was like, Hey, we, you know, we won three games last year. We play hockey East. We need a goalie. 
and uh, he, uh, you know, I looked it up online. It looked like a great place to be. Um, I really wanted to study journalism when I was in school, so um, they had a good journalism program there. And, and uh, so, you know, I was like, I, I'm in. I'm ready. I want to come. And so the next year, um, we were able to kind of be that freshman class that started to turn some things around at, at the school there. And by the third year, we were up to, you know, being ranked second, third in the country. And um, school was just an awesome atmosphere to, to play hockey at Matthews Arena and be in the Beanpot final and um, make the NCAA tournament. And just to be a, a part of that kind of process as, as they were able to turn things around was was really cool. I'm sensing a bit of a trend here. You stick in Aldergrove, even though it wasn't a big minor hockey association. I'm guessing there were probably a lot of nights where you guys were, were as a goalie, you were seeing a ton of shots and maybe bigger associations would have overwhelmed your team or at least had a lot of, you know, you weren't, you weren't sitting back there seeing five or six a night. You go to Penticton, that program, as you said, that was right at the start of a powerhouse. You're in Northeastern as they become a school that, you know, like you said, one you hadn't heard of to one that everybody knows about now. What is there some lessons as a goaltender there about picking a spot that or sticking in a spot that, you know, not always looking for the best team because that might not be the best thing for your goaltending development? And how much could like I, I feel it's like Brad Teeson needs credit for the rise of all these programs because you were there from the beginning in the most <laughs> important position. Well, I can't take credit for those, but it was, uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, as a goalie, you just a lot of times it's, it's an opportunity to play. Um, you know, my, my first year in Penticton, I mean, we were awful. I, but as a 17-year-old in the BCHL, I think I played 40, 45 games. So it was, you know, I was out there every night learning uh, kind of on the fly and, um, you know, I was able to kind of translate and take that experience as I went through. And then same at Northeastern, you know, it was an opportunity where as a freshman I played you know, every game but one, I think it was, and just helping to, you know, be a part of the program where I was, I was getting a lot of opportunities, a lot of uh, shots. And uh, I don't want to say that as a goalie, you have to search for just the, the right place where you're going to play right away, because, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, you need some time to develop. You need, you know, someone to kind of invest in you off, off and you're not ready for the game time. You need practice, you need development time. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to jump into some spots where I was able to play right away. But, um, you know, as I went into pro, it was, you know, I was able to use those experiences to help me. So after three years at Northeastern, as you said, there's the decision to turn pro. How tough was that? I mean, you weren't drafted in the NHL, but we've seen a lot of examples where you become goalies become quite a, you know, a coveted asset coming out of more time to develop and mature in university. And then you, you're, you're an unrestricted free agent. Like how many teams were chasing you? What was that process like? And how'd you come to decide on the Penguins? Yeah, it was a, you know, a situation where I felt that Northeastern, I had done what I wanted to do there. I think as a goalie, uh, you kind of want to be able to, to be at the top of, of the level where you're at before you want to consider moving on. And I felt that Northeastern that year, I'd done a lot of things where if I went back, I wasn't going to really improve on them. I, I think it was time to, to move on and see what, what was next for the next level. And as the year went on, uh, there were a decent amount of teams that I was talking to and uh, was excited about the opportunity. And then, you know, we lost the game against Cornell in the first round of the NCAA playoffs. And I was ready to, you know, have the phone start ringing and see what, what the opportunities were and where I was going to go. And at the end of the day, it was, there was only two or three where it was actual offers. And, and uh, so for Pittsburgh to come in and, um, you know, give me the opportunity to be there uh, you know, I just saw them as an organization where, yes, Marc-Andre Fleury was there and, and he wasn't going anywhere, but it was, uh, you know, a chance to, 
to jump into an organization where they really, you know, have a plan for their prospects and, and uh, you know, develop guys, you know, you weren't just going to get thrown in and see what happens. So I, I valued that as a, as a player and as a person going into an organization and, and uh, was excited for that opportunity. What was that experience like that first year with the Penguins? Because obviously multiple levels, um, played, in the, played in the American Hockey League, also spent some time in the ECHL. You know, and at a time when you know, you mentioned that they had a plan and they helped you, this is a this is an era where a lot of teams didn't even have an American Hockey League goalie coach, let alone someone that would, could help you out in the ECHL. Now you're in that role as a development goalie guy. What were your experiences then? What have you learned from that that you will bring to this new role now? Because times have changed, right? There's more. It feels like there's more resources. Did you have those when you made that jump? Because it's a big jump. Yeah, for sure. And that was, you know, I signed in April of 09 and then went, I uh, was actually a part as a black ace with the Penguins as they went on the Stanley Cup run. So, um, you know, I went right, right to the, to the team and was able to kind of have a, you know, a firsthand view of, of the team that was going to win the Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, I was, I was really fortunate and really lucky to be able to have that um, up close and personal right off of my college experience. Um, so the next year coming in, I, uh, you know, I was sent down to Wilkesbury after training camp. Um, it was myself and uh, John Curry and then uh, Adam Burkle, who's now with Vaughn. Um, so I think it was, I think Berkey was hurt for the first month or so. So it was me and John Curry. And then after Berkey came back, I remember being called into coach. Uh, Todd Reardon was our head coach then. And, and uh, he brought me in the office and, you know, told me that they were, they were going to send me to Wheeling. And I remember just breaking down. I was in tears in his office and just like, you know, this is what I signed up for. This is what I left college for. You know, I'm going to play in, you know, the East Coast League in Wheeling, West Virginia. And, and uh, you know, left that opportunity that I had to, to finish out a season your season in college. And um, so I remember getting in the car and starting to drive to, to Wheeling. And the player development, uh, head of player development was Tom Fitzgerald. And he called me on my drive down and, you know, kind of just told me that they weren't just going to put me down there and forget about me. Like they had, they had a plan. Um, they needed me to play games. They wanted me to, to learn the pro hockey. And um, my first game, Jason Botterill was at my first game in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And um, Jills Malosh was the goalie coach at the time. And he would come down to, to uh, Wheeling too. So, you know, it took me, you know, probably three to four weeks to kind of get over the fact that I was in the East Coast League. And, you know, I probably wasted that time, but it was time that I needed to, to reevaluate and, and figure out, um, you know, this was, was part of the plan and part of the process. And, you know, I can definitely use that as I go into the role now with these kids because, um, you know, I was the same way. You know, you, you want everything right away and you want it. You did everything you had, could at the, at the previous level. And in most cases, you were at the top of, the, of your game in the previous level. So you figure you're just going to jump into it and do the same in the next one. And um, sometimes it's a rude awakening. And uh, definitely those experiences that I had back in, back in the day and going to play in wheeling, um, can help me as I, you know, trying to relate to these kids now. Well, just the value of a phone call, um, on that drive, as hard as it would be, I mean, credit to the Penguins organization. I, I've heard stories the other way where guys do get sent down, even in some most recently where they never do see a goalie coach when they're ECHL. So that sounds like an organization that had, uh, had, had its priorities right, uh, more than a decade ago. I, I got to ask, what's life as a black ace fresh out of college on a run that ends with everyone host, hoisting the Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins? Like, what, what was that experience? Like, what's your fondest or what's the memory that jumps out the most from being a part of that run? 
Oh man, I remember just like being on the ice for practice and thinking I don't belong here. <laughs> just like Cindy Crosby and, and Malkin and Latang and these guys just ripping pox by my ears and not having a sniff of making a save, just like a, this is going to be a short lived career. But, um, you know, as I kind of went along, just, just the whole team was just, uh, you know, a great group of guys and really welcomed me in. Uh, Bill Guerin was there. He's, you know, a, you know, such a presence in that locker room and Hal Gill and Pascal Dupuy and some of these guys who were uh, super welcoming to a, you know, a kid just coming out of, out of college and Marc-Andre Fleury was just, I mean, just like you see today, he's just always in a good mood, always having a good time. And what I remember most was, you know, watching game, game five, uh, the series was tied 2-2 or in Detroit. Um, like he, he gives up five goals and gets pulled in the second period. And, then comes back in game six, like nothing happened and, and puts on two performances that, you know, helped him win the Stanley Cup. So being able to see that firsthand and then obviously being on the ice in the locker room on the plane, um, going to Mary Lemieux's house, just, you know, the whole festivities that, that followed with the, you know, the Stanley Cup involved was um, something that I'll, I'll never forget. Welcome to the NHL, right? Like that's a pretty, (laughs) that's not a, Hey, fresh out of college. And here you go right into a cup run. Were you able, like, do you feel like it's easy to look back now, but in the moment, like you said, with Crosby and Malkin and you're in there and net in practice and they're, you know, they're, Hey, I've heard that conversation. I've had that conversation with Marc-Andre Fleury as he started to evolve his game years later, how hard it was to trust technical changes when it is Crosby and Malkin ripping it by in practice. Um, in that moment, were you able to, like did any of those lessons hit home at the time or you were just along for the ride and now in retrospect, it's easy to look back. Yeah, I think it was, it was probably, um, I would say I just learned like patience. I think like just reading the game, reading the shots, reading the releases, what these shooters think about, um, you know, how they're willing to shoot from anywhere where, where there's the spots are they're looking for. Um, being up high and watching the game and watching uh, Mark Andre play and you know just the athleticism that he played with, but you know the controlled athleticism, not not using it to kind of take him out of position, but using it you know when he needs to and kind of having that technical base and ability to you know scrap it when it's needed when it's needed and the time calls for it. So um, you know those are some of the things that, that I took out of those couple of months where I was along for that ride. Okay, so um, it looks really easy from up there, doesn't it? This is why yeah. us journalists, that's why everybody's hard on goaltenders because we watch it from up in the 500 level yeah. and it looks really simple to identify all those reads and patterns. I forgot to ask you, you mentioned journalism. How far along did you get? Like, Was that something you were at any point? The journey obviously went to pro hockey, but was mm-hmm. journalism something you were seriously considering? And did taking those courses at Northeastern help at all in terms of dealing with us, managing the media, learning how to sort of exist in a world where sometimes we can define accurately or inaccurately where players and goalies fit in the higher. Yeah. Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, like I was huge into sports broadcasting, like love listening to sports talk radio and uh, listening to the, you know, the Canucks games on, on the radio and also like Seattle Mariners games on the radio. And I always knew that, um, you know, something that I was passionate about if hockey wasn't going to work out that, you know, I had to do even when I, when I was in junior Penticton, I'd have a, I would say, a, you know, a column in the newspaper every couple of weeks that I would, you know, write a, write a little blurb about something. And then, um, 
in uh, in college. It turned it turned into a blog. I wrote it was called the uh, In the Crease with Peace, and so <laughs> had a you know a little blog going there. And um, even even here in Cleveland, I have had a few opportunities to do some some color commentary on the radio and on the TV. So uh, those are things that you know I I enjoy doing, and and uh, you know who knows if that's something that I I turn to again one day or down the road. But it definitely helps when I'm, you know, talking to, to media or reading things and kind of, you know, coming from, you know, knowing the perspectives that they're, the writers or the journalists are coming from and um, kind of trying to relate it to, to where you're at as an athlete and things like that. So, you know, something that I'm, I'm passionate about as well. Careful there. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be putting you to work before you know it here. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, though, too, growing up in, in Vancouver and listening to those names, like as soon as you start talking about Mariners games, I'm like Dave Niehaus oh, yeah. and, you know, I'm yeah, trying to think totally. of the arrow. Is Jim Robson or John Shorthouse in that transition? Like we had, a, I mean, yeah, there Jim are a Robson, lot of lot of great Jim, media. It was really great. I mean, Jim Robson, uh, Tom Larsha, and then John Shorthouse took over and Jim Houston was part of it there. And yeah, Dave Niehaus and Rick Riz and all those guys in, in Seattle and just some of the Mariners teams that were there during that time, like it was Ichiro and, and all of the, the record setting uh, season that they had they never could finish it off in the end, but it was always fun to listen to and chance to go down to Seattle in the summertime and watch games. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, that's right up my alley right there. Grew up going down to the King kingdom. Wasn't quite as nice as what they got now, but going down to watch Griffey and Buner and, and Randy Johnson in the kingdom. So I can see with that influence why media would be attractive. I was attracted to the same type of announcers and the same voices because they're, I mean, they're Hall of Famers, right? That's yeah. a great list. So welcome to the NHL, out of college, straight into a Stanley Cup run. You get your welcome to the NHL moment as a goalie two years later. What do you remember? I mean, five appearances, three and one record in the four starts. What do you remember about uh, your first stint in the National Hockey League? Yeah, I remember... Um... You know, I had had a few call-ups, um, especially the year before I had a call-up where, I, you know, I had a season that was was pretty memorable and, and didn't end up getting in a game. And, you know, you start wondering, am I going to get that opportunity? Is that chance going to come? And um, to be honest, that year that I did get called up, I, I don't know if I deserved it or not. Like, I, I had a good start to the season, but then, you know, that my focus kind of kind of went away and, and started comparing myself and wondering, you know, why, why am I not getting that opportunity? And, um, you know, you see other guys around the league that are starting to, to play games in NHL and you, you start thinking, you know, I'm better than that, or I should be getting that opportunity as well. And so I think it was, uh, around February that, um, Brent Johnson, who was the backup to, to flurry at that time, got hurt and I got my opportunity to come up and it was a good, you know, four to six weeks run that I was able to, to be there. And, they had uh, back-to-back games, back-to-back home games for the first weekend. And I knew that Flurry was going to play the first one. We were playing Tampa Bay. And then the next afternoon, we were playing Columbus. And I remember Dan Bilesma walking down the hallway and just telling me, like, you're going to get your, your game tomorrow. That's your start. So being uh, pretty excited about it. I had you know, my dad, my one of my brothers, and my uh, then girlfriend or fiance, now wife, and um, my cousin out to the game. They all flew out and made the trip. And I'm, I remember being thankful that it was a one o'clock game. So I didn't have to wait around all day for a seven o'clock and kind of let your mind uh, get away from you. So I was able to get the, the game in early. Um, I Rick Nash scored on a breakaway, the first goal that I gave up in the NHL. So I, now I'm, now I'm working with them here in Columbus. So that was, that was pretty cool. But um, just 
know, you step on the ice and start doing warm up, and it, it's just a surreal experience. Like you, you wonder what, how it happened, and that you're actually there, and, and all those dreams and all the work that you put in uh, were worth it. So was able to to win my first three games, and then um, my fourth one was up in Ottawa, and that one started off memorably because I, I, I mean, you could look it up on YouTube, I think, but there's a. <laughs> a Canadian national anthem rendition that is memorable for that game. It was, uh, it was rather, um, I think it was long and, and memorable. And I remember smirking on, on TV as it was going on. It was, and then uh, that started off a night that was a uh, night to forget. I, I think we lost eight to four. I knew we were playing the next day too. And I knew I was in for all of it, no matter what happened. And Alfredson and Spezza and those guys uh, had a good night against me. So that was the last start, but it was uh, you know, a real good time and, and a good memories. So from there, a um, couple more years with Wilkes-Barre and 2013-14, I got Helsinki in front of me, but also time with Norfolk. And I know you spent some time in the Flames organization. Just walk me through those couple of years that ultimately end up leading you to Lake Erie and now Cleveland and, and with that organization where you've been for the past you know, five, six years. Yeah, so after four years with Pittsburgh, I was, you know, the first time I was going to be a free agent and I wanted to, you know, try something new and see what else was out there and um, got into free agency. And after that first week, like, as you know, like goalie spots there, there's not too many of them. And once they start getting snapped up, it's like, Oh, you're looking around and wondering, you know, wh where's the spot for you? There's nothing left. So kind of uh, Europe was not even a, you know, a thought on my mind at that point. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, maybe this is something that we should look into. So, Ever, I ended up getting, uh, you know, the opportunity with, with HIFK and Helsinki. And, you know, I thought if I was going to go to Europe, you know, Helsinki was a, a place that was, you know, a, you know, a big metropolis and, and a big city where you would, uh, you know, kind of see that experience and get that opportunity to go over there and play. So I, so I went, um, I didn't handle it very well. You know, I think if you're going to Europe, you have to have an open mind. And I think, you know, things are done differently because that's the way they do things and that's the way they're used to doing things and and you're used to doing things your way and when you're not willing to adapt or kind of uh, be open-minded to some of those things then you're going to struggle especially as an import you're expected right away to to kind of you know be the difference maker and I struggled uh, right off the bat and wasn't ever able to kind of get my footing and which is too bad because it was a you know really good spot really good city and something that I no, I definitely don't regret going because it, again, it gave me an experience that I can maybe relate to other guys about too. So came back and uh, Sudsy rescued me. He was a goalie coach in Norfolk there and we had done some work in summer times before and he needed a guy to go with John Gibson and have that you know older guy to, to pair with him. So that started my kind of mentorship journey and, and what kind of gave me jobs as I, as I went forward there. So Spent that rest of that year with Norfolk and, and John Gibson, and then a uh, year with Calgary and the Flames, uh, and Adirondack. And, and that was a tough year. It was, uh, for whatever reason, it just wasn't the right mix of players and whatever. And, and the, just the joy in hockey was kind of taken that year. And I, I actually thought that was going to be my, my last year and be done. The only, the only problem was I didn't have my green card yet. And I was a Canadian, I was married to an American. And, I needed to have uh, one more year of employment so I could get my green card. So I knew I was going to just play for one more year and then see what happened. So I, I, and I knew coming off that season, I hadn't played very well. So I signed with Cleveland knowing I was going to be back in the East Coast League in Cincinnati and was going to give it, you know, one last 
shot and just have fun playing hockey and get my green card in the process and be done. And that was six years ago. And I kept playing after that. So this is loaded with lessons though, right? Like you had to live them the wrong way. You had to go through the pain of experiencing them as a, as a, as a life lesson, as a learning lesson. But I got to think all of these are going to serve you on the development and the, and probably have already since you've been in this mentorship role and this coaching role for the past few years. Like, you know, again, we, it sounds like, like you, you just, you weren't playing thinking about your career anymore and you had a 934 in the East coast and, and, you know, a good year when you got called up to the AHL, like, how do you now tell the guys, right? How do you tell the younger guys? How do you share this in a way that's going to resonate with them that like, hey, when you let go and stop worrying about the wrong things and just play, yeah. it's the easiest thing to say. You've lived it in multiple scenarios. And yet, how do you get young guys to embrace it? What's the, how do you get that philosophy across? <laughs> that's the trick. I mean, like you said, I mean, all these different experiences that I've had and places that I've been and you know, as a, as a goalie coach now, like you can, you know, have all the technical answers and, and uh, be able to, to have all the different, um, you know, catchy words and things like that. But I think for me as a coach now, the first thing that is important is the relatability factor and the, the ability to really earn these guys' trust in that, you know, you've been there and, and you've been where they are at now and you can relate to where they are and um, share experiences that you've gone through that, you know, maybe you have to fail at in order to, to succeed. And, and hopefully, you know, their failures are a little bit shorter and uh, less uh, painful than maybe what you had to go through because you can can uh, relay those stories to them. So, um, you know, I'm excited to be able to, to be in that role now to, to help these guys in their journey because, you know, I, you know, I had my shot and I had my journey and, and now it's time to, to help these kids in there. Now, Finland, you said like it didn't go well, but there were lessons learned there. And you've got quite an international group of goaltenders coming through the Columbus system. Uh, you mentioned Kivlenix. Um, Daniel Tarasov is a goaltender who I got to watch at the World Juniors here in Vancouver and have heard nothing but incredible things about. Are there lessons there too? Like, do you have that, even if it was just a short period, did it give you a new appreciation for what these guys go through? coming to a new culture, coming to a place where the practices are different, the timing is different, everything is different. Yeah, 100%. Like even um, the last year and a half, we had Vinny Vavalainen here, um, who is from Finland. So just the fact that I was over there for four months just gives me that instant, you know, relatability factor with him because I, you know, I, I know the, the rinks he's been in and how, how things work over there and how the hockey is played and the, you know, the challenges that he would have coming over here to try and play the game. So, you know, that instant, you know, relatability factor kind of helps build that trust right off the hop. And same with Daniel, like coming over here and, and uh, getting used to the smaller ice surface and um, just the pace of practices and different things and, and going into a new country without knowing the language or knowing anybody. And, um, you know, I think that's something that as a North American going to Europe, they do a, you know, a great job of, you know, as soon as you step off the plane, like, here's a car, here's your cell phone, here's your apartment. Like, they, they really make it so that you can try and just focus on hockey. And I think sometimes over here we get lost in the fact that, you know, we expect these guys to perform on Saturday night. And, and uh, you know, meanwhile, there's all these other things that they're, they're trying to struggle with going through just to, just to live life in a new country. And, and uh, something that I'm also excited about, just trying to help these guys as they tra transition into a different, completely different culture, different 
different world over here compared to some of the things that they're used to back at home. You also, especially in the first eight years of your career, when you were moving from teams, you know, different teams, different voices, and again, maybe not a coach at every level throughout that process like we do have, or at least more so now, um, were there lessons there about, you know how it is, like uh, sometimes you get a new coach and they want to change something or they want to try something new, finding that balance, and this is a question we ask a lot of guys, like finding that balance between you know, showing that you're coachable and being willing to try new things, but, mm-hmm. you know, having a trust in your own foundation and, and what works for you and, and when to, I don't think push back's the right word, but when to stand yeah. up for your own game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not everyone has all the answers. So it's, it's uh, being able to kind of pick and choose from, you know, different coaches that you have that you can, you know, oh, this works for me or this doesn't work for me. And, and uh, you know, as I work with our guys now, it's, you know, really, I think a video has a lot, a lot of uh, value to it. Just to be able to sit down with someone and talk about, like, wh- where do you see on this play? How, how are you? How do you like to play this situation? What works for you here? Well, what do you, what do you think about trying this out? Or, you know, maybe they say, no, I, you know, I prefer to do it this way. And okay, that's fine. Maybe, you know, maybe down the road, you know, you see some goals go in where they try it their way, and it's maybe okay. Let's, you know, let's maybe see if we can work something else in another tool into your toolbox here a different way. So, you know, I definitely have had a lot of different coaches over, you know, the 12, 12 years of professional hockey that I've played with and you know, I've agreed with some and not agreed with some others. And you try and uh, be coachable for sure, but be respectful and, and um, you know, have that ability to trust your game and, and what works for you and, and uh, be able to pull different things from different people. Cause there's, so many different um, guys out there that have so much to offer. I was going to say, and you've, I mean, some of the names from starting out with Pasco and Sean here, you mentioned Kim Dillabaugh, um, obviously uh, Sudzi, now with it, with Anaheim, Sudarshan Maharaj. Um, I'm guessing looking at the timelines and trying to match them up real quickly in my head, but you would have like Columbus Blue Jackets, goaltending coach Manny Legacy is a guy that would have also been the coach for you down in the AHL at some points, uh, I'm guessing would have crossed paths with Ian Clark as well. Like that's a lot of names with a lot of, you know, a lot of great experiences and a lot of really respected guys that you've already had a chance to work with. How does, how does your, do you take pieces from each one? How does Brad Thiessen's philosophy fit in with all those other guys you've worked with? Yeah, I'm, I'm real fortunate to have come across all those guys, like, you know, be able to, just pick the brain of all these different guys. And especially now as I'm you know, done playing and kind of starting this out, just so fortunate to be able to pick up the phone and call any one of them and just, you know, talk through different situations or how you handle, uh, you know, a young kid in a certain situation or what would you do here? How do you go guys here? Just like it, it, I'm so fortunate to be able to have that, but it's, it's true. Like there's so many, guys who are so good at their jobs and their crafts and have put so much time into it and everyone has little things that they are kind of uh, kind of like specialized in and, and areas that they're really good at I've, I'm so thankful I've been with Manny for the last six years first as a coach here in Cleveland and, and then as he moved up to Columbus to be able to um, you know just go spend time with him in Michigan and, and uh, you know be on the ice with him every day and um, for him to have that real ability to blend um you know the experience but also the teaching uh aspect of things um he's so good at, at being able to do that and obviously ian clark and just the detail and, and the organization that he 
uh, presents uh, the game with. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be taken from him as well. So um, there's so much wisdom, so much knowledge in, in the goaltending community, and I'm lucky enough to be able to tap into that um, with a phone call. How much of this job now? I mean, and like you said, you've sort of been doing it already, but in a in a very unique way. How much of this is between the ears as much as between the pipes? Like, I think, you know, as a writer, it's really easy for me to focus on the technical because it's what I see. But the more I get to have these conversations with guys like yourself who have been in the game for so long, the more I realize that, like, that's just one small piece. Like, you know, where is it? Like, do you have, like, is there a pie chart with different slices? How much of it is technical? How much, or is that the beauty of the position? It's different for every guy, and you have to figure out how those pieces come together. Yeah, I think for every guy, it's going to be a little different. I think in, in their, each stage of their process, it's going to be different. Like, sometimes maybe, uh, you know, one, one year, one certain um, time in their life, it's going to be real technical. And there's going to be some times where you really got to dig into their game and, you know, maybe change some things about, you know the way things the way they're doing things on the ice but then there's gonna be times where you know they're struggling mentally or they're going through some stuff uh off the ice or just dealing with the pressures of, of playing pro hockey and um you know seeing where they're at in, in their stage of life and their journey so um it's going to be really um important just to kind of have a relationship with them with uh your goalie where you can really no, okay, no, I got to really dig into him right now in our relationship and build the trust and build, uh, you know, some some good habits uh, off the ice and, and their um, mental side of things. And then other times there's going to be times to push on the ice where you're really hammering home the technical side of things. So um, I think that's it, the, the part I'm excited about is really being able to establish that relationship with guys where, you know, you have the ability to know you know, what buttons to push at what times and, and what, where they're struggling and what they need at that certain moment. Okay, you mentioned Adam Burkle. I promise I'm going to wrap up soon because I've taken up, as I usually do, more of your time. I'm kind of infamous for this. I apologize. Last questions. I have a couple. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Adam. I, I, I'm pretty sure the, the last picture, like I've seen you in sort of newer generation um, Bauer gear. You mentioned Adam Burkle, Vaughn. I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites in gear departments, but is that a part of the job? Is, as a coach, because I see some young goaltenders now that, you know, some of them are geeks like us. I wear the label proudly. You know, you're geeking out on the gear. You're, I don't know if you're one of those guys, but some of them now, like, don't necessarily have a real understanding of how their equipment functions. Like, is that part of the education process? Were you a guy that had to figure out all those details and knew those details? And will that be part of the role moving forward? Yeah, that's uh, an area that I'll have to... Get, get a little better in because I was the opposite of a goalie nerd. I was just like, uh, this works. Okay, go. <laughs> keep doing okay. that. I, uh, I was always a Bauer guy right from the beginning. I remember like growing up on the farm and, and having to, you know, work enough so I could pay for my own gear. I remember the first set of gear was like the Bauer Reactor 6000 was like the big spoon blocker. And uh, that was, uh, you know, it was, it was a proud moment when I could walk into the hockey shop and buy those. I was going to ask, because I was thinking of this, like, okay, where would you have bought gear back then? Like, there weren't a lot of specialty stores for goaltending. Yeah. You're an OG hockey shop client. Oh, yeah. It was uh, like walking into a candy store there. You just kind of stare at all the walls and all the different paths. And it was, uh, you know, it was, oh, I spent a lot of money at that place. Uh, see, this is the, the, this is the best part of my job is I get to go there every week now and do the gear segment, go. staring at the walls at all the gear. So I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. 
Um, and listen, you said Seattle. I don't think you have to be Ichiro. Remember the stories of the bats in the humidor yeah. and storing them at the right temperature. But it just feels like sometimes they're, they're you know, sometimes for some of these kids, like they can end up in gear that maybe doesn't function for their game. Yeah. And so I was curious, you know, curious no, where that fit you're, into you're the equation. Right, and it's something that it's it's an important piece of you know these kids, and a lot of them are you know super into their gear and and uh, very. Uh, in tune with what works and what doesn't work and sometimes too in tune <laughs> and uh, you know I was you know the guy that just I remember Todd Brown was the, the Bauer rep back in the day and just kept telling him to send me the same stuff and then I started working with Henry Breslin and I remember when you know they stopped making the, the reactor pad with the knee roll and I was like what, what am I going to do here and I had to had to switch into the vapor and he, he, uh, he got me to buy into wearing those so um you know, I'll have to expand my knowledge on, on a lot of these these pads and uh, just how the gear gear works and functions to uh, to fit each guy the way that it needs to. Okay, and this really is the last one, but we'll leave it on this one. Dad, I see the pictures behind. You got three boys. Are they going to be goalies? Is that okay with that if they're a goalie? Did you have any resistance when you chose that? I didn't have any resistance to it. And uh, my oldest, I think he's right now he's into scoring goals, so I'm completely happy with that. Uh, then the one behind him, there's questions. We'll see. We'll see where he leads. He's, I think he's waffling right now. So we'll see. He's got time to choose. Well, with all the money you spent at the hockey shop, you know how expensive it can be. But the good news yeah. is you have, you've got some connections. That's right. I'll have to use those. <laughs> all right, Brad. Hey, really enjoyed this conversation. Congratulations on the new job. Congratulations on the career. Uh, and thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us. And I'm telling you, that journalism thing, uh, you may hear from us sooner rather than later no, i appreciate you having me on it's uh you know i love the the content that you guys put out and it's an honor honor to be on the podcast with you guys so thank you okay enjoy all the best moving forward with the blue jackets thanks kevin now you didn't plan the interview uh, around the in goal relationship uh with uh, with source for sports and uh, the hockey shop but that's really cool, uh, yeah. Tyson's experience with uh, with uh, the hockey shop. Just dawned on me as I started asking him about gear, like because I, I I'm not kidding. There really was only one place for goaltending. If you're you know into goaltending, that really had that level of sort of not just inventory but expertise as well. And that's again still to the day, right? We we don't go there just because of the great selection. We go there because Cam and his staff actually play the position, have a passion for it that we share and make sure they understand the equipment that's going to help you play it better. So kind of cool to uh, to hear that story from Brad and, and sort of tie it all in. And you know what? We were talking earlier. Um, I piped up about a Baz Bastian and American Hockey League Goaltender of the Year Award for Logan Thompson. I didn't even realize this. Shows you what a great interviewer I am. Went through that whole interview and neglected to mention that Brad won it in 2010-2011 with Wilkes-Barre. Outstanding. So it's got his name on uh, on the American Hockey League Top Goaltender uh, Award. That is neat and uh, shouldn't be um, just uh, pushed to the side. Right. One other story that that I forgot to mention, as we, if you want to play uh, catch up, Robin Leonard and and the Warrior Sticks, and like uh, he used to use an off the rack uh, ritual stick. Yeah, when he switched over, it was during his time in Chicago, and now. I'm kicking myself because I'm not sure I saved the video because there were some questions about whether they wanted us to use it. But um, one of the equipment guys there uh, down in the tunnel when we were still allowed down in the tunnel um, had the spray can out 
and a template, like a warrior letter template. And he was spray painting Robin Lehner's stick for that night because Robin basically had a stock Ben Bishop curve off the rack. I mean, I'm sure they didn't buy it off the rack. They ordered a bunch of them, but he was playing with basically a stock warrior stick. And to the point where he wasn't getting custom colors yet, he didn't have that in. He was just so, so the equipment manager, and I'm, it's killing me that I can't remember his name because just another example of how above and beyond they go was spending all this time out in the hallway with a couple different cans of spray paint and letter templates to make sure that Robin Lehner's warrior stick with the Chicago Blackhawks matched the rest of his great Brian setup with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, example of just how hard those guys work, but also, yeah, probably a little bit telling that here's a National Hockey League goaltender that just found something he liked um, and, you know, didn't need to spec the crap out of it with custom options. He just, he found something he liked and he went with it. Robin's so amazing. He uh, will use that stock stick uh, that's not custom. He grabs gear, gets it in the morning, wears it in a game that night. It's uh, it just so fascinating uh how he just rolls with it then and, and has learned to roll with it uh, that's awesome uh have fun uh the rest of the uh, vacation uh out there on the on the surfboard uh, please check in with us every day either by text or direct message or by posting something just let us know that you are safe out there on the water uh, i would like to have you sitting on the surfboard with your feet dangling in the water with that uh Oculus headset, Sensorina headset on, even if it's just posing for a picture, uh, and in your, you're only in two feet of water, I think it would be a good picture, but don't get sand in it or anything like that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to replace the replace my headset and my uh, paddles for me um, if my reason for needing that is I fell in the water. But we'll see what we can do, Darren. There are some, some spectacular, there's a cliff, there's a little bluff, and a sunset melting into the Pacific Ocean. We may be able to talk one of my daughters into bringing a camera up while I... St- I'm a little bit worried, though, to be honest with you, because the edge of that cliff and the fall off, like if I decide to come out and challenge, just because, like, you know, you get into it, you punch a yeah. wall, you you hurt your hand, I still, that's still healing on the hand there. Like, what if, I, what if I take a step out and the next thing you know, I'm over the cliff? Like, that could be a problem. We, we've too, seen too your daughter's realistic. artwork, which is absolutely unbelievable. We've heard about the spray paint now for Robin Lehner. I'm putting two and two together. I think she could probably make you a virtual, virtual reality headset that you could safely wear out onto the onto the water. I'm on it. So I'm it's on, it, on your daughter yeah, to come it. up with her own model of an, an Oculus just for you, so you're nice and safe. Uh, sweetie, I know that, sweetie, I'm going surfing. You spend the day on arts and crafts. Exactly. I know that you guys have both seen it, but the 1986, uh, one of the great uh, visuals from that Montreal Canadiens run uh, to the Stanley Cup with Patrick Waugh's rookie year was a save at Madison Square Garden where he made a windmill glove stop and he ended up inside the face-off circle, like yes. fully inside the face-off circle, which we, we don't encourage anybody to uh, to try that uh, these days. I have always tried to figure out where that puck was going. If he made a glove save uh, like that, it is probably going to end up in the corner. But uh, Woody, don't try and challenge like that. Or else you'll end up uh, <laughs> way out there. Or Hutch, maybe we want him to do that. I'm speechless. Yes, we do. We yes. do. I'd love to see the the Patty <laughs> the Patty windmill from <laughs> the water into Fino. 
It would be spectacular. Which beach do you go to? Just curious. Um, We stay at a place on Cox Bay, uh, and uh, I don't know if I say this out loud, but the better break is right around the corner on Rosie Bay. So you got to you got to sort of cut across a little path and go over there. But Cox Bay is packed, and it's amazing breaks and great beach, and what it's a great place to learn too. It's it's perfect for that. but you can go over and catch a little bit of a better break without having to deal with hundreds of other people on the other side of the point. Oh, the paparazzi are going to be out there looking oh, for Woody's autograph hey, this week yeah. now. You, got, you guys make jokes. Guess who was there two years ago when we were there surfing? Our prime minister. Oh, yes. Was it two yes. years ago or three years ago? We were actually on the beach and 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 him and his, like, he was out surfing. At, that's where that's where they go and they were at Cox Bay surfing and we actually saw him and it was like, holy crap. Keep your Which shirt on, makes okay? Him, it makes, yeah. makes him one of the coolest. Yeah, he was, he had, see, that's the thing. Like, when I come off the beach in the wetsuit, the wetsuit stays on until I get back and hose myself down. I'm not, like, rolling it down and, like, tarps off walking up the beach like our prime minister because <laughs> I don't work out as much as him, frankly. Kind of cool that our, the leader of the country goes and surfs. Like, uh, I'm in. It's got my vote. I just can't wait till a- you get the photo of him in the Oculus. Yes. Excuse me, Mr. Trudeau. Um, we have a running thing here at Ingle. We need the best picture. I would like you to wear this headset out into the ocean as you he go for a like surf. a pretty chill dude. I think you might do it. Yeah, just yeah, call he- him JT. Exactly. Then, uh, he'll answer for sure. That's as close as we'll get to politics uh, or any type of uh, politic- political opinion. Uh, on this program, but we love talking goaltending and we'll, uh, we'll definitely share all of our viewpoints and remember the homework who will be the goaltender of record for the various federations in Beijing. Should the national hockey league go lots to discuss there. And it may take uh, a little bit as you go through it, Canada, Sweden, Russia, uh, China, China. Do China? they get an entry? I'm going to text Dusty Emu right now and get the inside track on that. Let's go to it. Uh, stay safe uh, to the two of you and uh, stay safe to everybody listening. And we'll chat with you again from uh, points unknown at this uh, stage of the recording. We don't know where we'll all be uh, next week, but uh, appreciate listening. And congratulations to the 2021 Stanley Cup champions, Siri. The Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs>